Thanks for joining the Capital Church podcast channel. For more resources and to learn more about Capital Church, please visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at it is, um, it's an honor to be here with you uh, today. Let me just say this really quick. Uh, today's a message, I hope, I hope it feeds you. There's a lot of pressure uh, in that intro. Uh, but this, this talk here today is like a mashup of a lot of different messages over the last, that I've preached over the last probably eight, nine, ten weeks. And so there's some, some new things I'm going to bring to the table, some old things that I've talked about, uh, but I feel, I feel really strong about this message. Uh, if you haven't been here, we've been in our Social Kingdom series, and so we've been talking about uh, our life as a community. And if you're into taking notes, uh, you can write, this is essentially the title, you can name it whatever you want, but the title of this talk is Our Need for Community. That's how I'm going to map it out. Um, if you get lost in the weeds as I'm uh, speaking, just remember uh, I'm talking about our need. Everyone say our need. Come on, say it. Our need. Our need for community. Could you turn to your neighbor and say, man, I need you. Did that get awkward? It kind of felt awkward. Turn to your other neighbor, right, and say, I need you. Right? I think we need each other. All right, Genesis chapter 1, we're going to begin in verse 26. Um, God says this. This is kind of the crescendo of this first uh, creation story. Genesis 1 is one creation story. Genesis 2 is another kind of a different aspect of creation. So God's been building out the cosmos, the world in which we live. And then God said, he's marking out uh, what does it mean to be human. How many of you want to know what it means to be human? Okay. So the question here, um, and God answers the question of, okay, right now, why are you and I alive? Right? Why, why, why are we sentient creatures? Why, why can we think about what we're thinking about? Right? Why do we have consciousness? Uh, why are we raising kids? Right? What, what, what's the purpose of life? Why, why do some of you like barbecue? Right? Why do some of you like Italian food? Right? Apparently no one likes barbecue or Italian food. Why are some of you vegans? Right? It's a great question. Why, why, why are we dog people, right? Why are we cat people, right? Some of you need counseling. Did you know that cats want to eat you? Let's move on. So, <laughs> fundamentally, here we have this, 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 this crescendo, we have this crescendo in this, this Genesis story, and here we have this fundamental question that's answered. Okay, what does it mean to be alive? And this is what God said. Let us make man in our own image after our likeness and let them have dominion. Everyone say dominion. I think maybe over the next several weeks I'm going to talk about this kind of evocative word dominion. Uh, some of us, we're Americans, right? And so when it comes to dominion, we think of exploiting the planet, all that kind of stuff. That's not what this Hebrew word means, but we'll talk about that over the next few weeks. So God says, I want you to have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male. Could you say male? And female. So he constructs, right, this, this heaven-earth construct 
right, this beautiful complementarity that God is building us towards in this whole story. And then we have this moment where God creates his own image bearers. They're male and female. So it's not just in this new world of God, it's not just reigning men, okay? Or it's not just, and if you love Beyonce, that's great, but it's not just the divine feminine, right? Uh, the image bearers are both male and female. We need some men and we need some women. We need some males and we need some females. So here we have, again, forming. We're kind of, get, kind of getting an idea of what it means to, to be image bearers, what it means to be human, what our purpose is. Uh, male and female were never designed to compete, only to complement each other. So we come to verse 28, and God blessed them. And we kind of have um, God expounds. The Genesis story expounds on verse 26. Again, kind of marking out the role of humans within creation. It says that God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and then fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea. You have that word dominion again. And over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Verse 29, and God said, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its, fr in its fruit. You shall have them for food. Verse 30, to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given. I love it. Can you say given? I love what Shane talked about earlier. Life is a gift. Can, can I get an amen to that? Right, so the, there's a givenness that life, the cosmos, space and time and matter, all the wonderful things that we enjoy, the raw materials as, as humans that we've arranged, such as Starbucks and coffee, and we have, how many of you love Mexican food, right? Come on. It, chips and salsa all day long. Can I? Right? Yeah? Okay. It's absolutely amazing. All of that is a what? It's a gift. So I've given every green plant for food, and it was so. One last verse here, and then we'll just go to chapter 2, read a few verses, and we'll be done. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was not bad, not tragically bad, right? Not a disaster. It was very good. The Hebrew kind of like expounds on this. It was very, 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 very good. And there was evening, and then there was morning, and then we have the sixth day. Chapter 2, we're going to begin in verse 15. It says, Then the Lord God took the man, and he put him, he placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. There's a few verses, and we're going to skip down to verse 18. We just don't have time to go through this story. Verse 18 reads, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. Right? How many of you would say yes to that? It's not good that we should be alone. We need more barbecues, right? We need more cor cornhole, right? Spike ball, right? We need to learn to live our life together. And I will make him a helper. We, let me say that. We need, more, we need more of this, right? We need more small groups. We, we, we need each other, right, because we, we belong. I'll stop there. Uh, but I will make, again, the last clause here, I will make him a helper fit for him. Verse 19, now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. 
And the man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field except for cats. <laughs> did you know God did not create cats? <laughs> Some of you are like, your theology is way off, Chris. I know I'm going to get about 10 emails this week. Um, email me at uh, pastorkin at gmail.com. All right. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. Verse 21, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep. How many of you like a nap? <laughs> Lord have mercy. Caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with the flesh. God does surgery on Adam, and in the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into woman and brought her to the man. I love this because we used to have a conversation, my, my sisters and I, who were, like, who was better, right? Boys or girls. And I, because I didn't understand how Hebrew poetry worked, right? There's a, in this creation story, there's a liturgical rhythm. And at the end of Hebrew poetry, at the crescendo, whatever is at the last is like the crowning achievement. So I used to think because man came first, this was my argument, that men were better but that's not how Hebrew poetry works. Here we have woman is the crowning. This is essentially what Genesis 2 is saying. Woman is the crowning achievement of God's creation. And all the women folks said amen to that. So I lost that. I lost that. Men, you should say amen to that too, right? Come on. All right. So she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Verse 24 Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. We're almost done here. Do we have verse? I don't think we have verse 26. It's pretty amazing. You could read it this week. All right. I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes as we uh, pray. Father, I thank you that um, you are with us here today. And Lord, I think you would take this mashup of messages, and Lord, you would underscore how important our life together is. Lord, I thank you we're not individuals, we're a people. I pray that we would get it in fresh ways this morning. Lord, I thank you for your energy in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for three sets of twins. And I thank you for blessing every son and daughter here in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Uh, hey, so many of you, the last few weeks, I've been talking about my um, obsession with this one show. How many of you like TV? Okay. Um, some of you like TV. I thought that was my son. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, I, I somewhat enjoy TV. I usually just pray all day long, so I don't really. Ah. Um, <laughs> You guys are a good group. I like this. Um, so, but my wife and I, we like, we like some reality TV shows. And she's, I just, she loves the cooking shows and all that kind of stuff. But we found this one show, and I've, I've talked about it over the last few weeks. It's called Alone. I think it's on the History Channel, right? So if you don't know what the concept of the show, it's basically, uh, it's the show that's structured around 10 survivalists. They're actually trained survivalists. I think half of them are women, half of them are men. So it's kind of a social experiment. So they place them in the Arctic tundra, right? And they strategically place them around this, this island. And so 
Basically, the premise of the whole show, show is it's, it's simple. It's last man standing. So they got to stay there the longest, and they're by themselves. So again, hence alone. But there's one guy named Barry. How many of you like that name, Barry? Ellen, is Ellen here? Yeah, Ellen, you love that name, Barry. Barry's a strong, come on, Barry, Barry, we love Barry. We have a Barry Ott. That's a strong name, right? So there's this guy in the show uh, named Barry. He's a man's man, right? He's the guy that he could live off the grid, maybe a conspiracy theorist, totally could live in Idaho, right? <laughs> Doesn't believe we've landed on the moon. Like, you know, a little, little off. Um, but he's my favorite character. And so... Uh, this last episode, episode nine-ish, I think, he, uh, we're, we're, up, we're about in the middle of the show, and Barry starts, everyone say Barry. Barry. Remember, he has a beautiful long beard. I mean, he's been in, the, just for context, he's been in this Arctic tundra for 63 days by himself. He's lost 80 pounds, and he's not talking right. <laughs> so about halfway through the show, he starts to emote. And so I think my wife was right next to me, and I go, babe, get the popcorn, because Barry's about ready to lose it. <laughs> and he does. Shane and I had a, con like a, Shane and I are weird, like, you know, we had like a 20-minute conversation this week about Barry, right? It was just random. So he starts to emote, and he, he's having a psychological breakdown. He gets on his knees. It's snowing. The lake is behind him. He's shrieking his wife's name. And then he's, like, arbitrarily screaming for fire to come down into his heart. I'm like, fire? Like, he's like, fire, right? And I'm like, oh, my God, Barry is losing it. Babe, let's get some dessert. This is good TV, right? Um. Barry didn't make it, right? He was one of the last contestants, and I love Barry, and we've been talking about this show for a long time, but it only, it only underscores, again, I think this show's a, a social experiment, but it underscores how, as humans, we were not created or designed, this is my basic thesis, to live apart from each other. Like, we need each other. And I've done my best to take some academic speak and some sociology, but most importantly, the Bible and theology, and flesh it out for us that, that when it comes down to it, when it comes to purpose, when it comes to what God has for you and your life, you can't do it by yourself. We need to live life, and we need to learn how to live life together as a, as a family. It's funny, as we're talking about being alone uh, this last nine months. It's, it's funny, as parents, how many parents do we have here? Okay, we have quite a few parents. How many of you have experienced sleep deprivation? Okay, how many of you enjoy it? No, right. How many of you, like, and this has been, and this has only happened a couple times, because my wife, can you give it up for my beautiful wife? <laughs> Guys, we are done if not for my wife. Not only is she an incredible mom, she watches the kids. I mean, I watch the kids every now and then. Anyways, I just had to provide that context because every now and then I watch our twin boys at night. And can I just tell you, at 3 o'clock in the morning, if you've never experienced this, I pray you never experience this. But at 3 o'clock in the morning when you have two boys that are crying for, you know, food, and everyone in the house is asleep. It is weird. You've, you just feel really lonely. Have you ever experienced that? 
three o'clock, you start, you feel lonely, and it's weird. I start to feel cold, right? <laughs> it's like a random, I don't know, have you ever experienced, you start to feel cold, and then I just, I feel isolated. Have you ever, it's three o'clock, it's dark, everyone is asleep, you're lonely, and when you're lonely and isolated, you start thinking funny thoughts. Can I get an amen to that? It's funny how I start to resent my wife at three o'clock in the morning, like, why can't she be up? Or I start to like take offense at my, my twin boys. Why can't they watch these twin boys? Like, what's wrong with me, right? It's funny how, why are we talking about this? It's funny how, it just, again, it's, it's just, it's proof that, man, we, we need each other, right? We can't live lives separated from our families, live lives separated from our community. Community defined really comes, is derived from a Latin word meaning breaking bread together, right? It's a compound word. We are designed and created by God to break bread together. And it's within that framework of breaking bread together that God works through us for the sake of the world. Can I get an amen to that? So why is... Um, why is being, being alone such a big issue? Why are we talking about this? David Brooks, in his book, Second Mountain, he kind of write, writes about our social fabric. And uh, he takes a lot of the, some of the best sociology out there and he gathers data. And essentially, and we've talked about this for some time, uh, but he essentially says that our suicide epidemic, based on all the data, is at least a manifestation of the tearing of our social fabric. Right, we have what he calls the deaths of despair. I don't know if you know this, but we have a demographic group that we would call privilege. They make a ton of money. I'm not going to get into the idiosyncrasies of this demographic group, but they are committing suicide at a disproportionate rate. The question is, why? We have these deaths of despair. We have, in the words of one scholar, we have a mental health crisis, Again, we've talked about anxiety and depression and why do we feel lonely and why, why, why do we in some ways feel deranged in our mind. And I've talked to many of you before. Some of you have dealt with depression and anxiety in your life and you have explained kind of the neurochemical events that take place. And obviously you, you've talked me through your relationship with your doctors and that's important that we talk about that. But there's also from just a meta level when it comes to our mental health issue, it's not just a a neurochemical event that leads us into anxiety and depression, but we also have an issue in our country where you have, in the words of one scholar, protracted loneliness, you have the loss of meaningful work, and you have the absence of this community that leads to social isolation. In fact, I'm not gonna get political, maybe a little political, maybe not, we'll just see how you guys respond, okay? Um, but this is a very complex issue when it comes to mass shooting. When it comes to mass shooting, yes, it is a crisis, and can I get an amen to that? Right, it's something that we need to deal with. I know Republicans have been talking about it, Democrats have been talking about it. I've heard on the news the last two weeks, we, got, we need more universal background checks, we need red flag laws, we live in Idaho, and most of you are like, whatever, okay? So I get that. So whether you believe we need stricter gun laws or not, that's not the issue. Jettison that from your political mind right now. At the least, when it comes to mass shootings, we, we are finding out at the least it is about social isolation. I, I get it, it's a, it's a complex issue. But gun violence and mass shootings are inextricably connected to socially isolated individuals. 
And this social isolation is, has led to the spreading of the proliferation of the derangement of the American mind. You have young men who've been isolated their whole life, right? And in their state of isolation, in their need to belong, right? Their need to belong, they find violent ideologies. And in that need to belong, we all have that need for community, right? Because of the isolation, that need is twisted. And there are some people out there that just so desperately want to belong, even if it means belonging to a violent tribal group. Yes, I know this is a bigger, and I'm, bigger issue, and I'm not trying to oversimplify this issue, but we have a problem in the United States of America, and it's a problem connected, and we've talked about this, it's connected to hyper-individualism, which has led to social isolation. We are created and designed by God, in other words, and this is my thesis, to live within community. So we come. What's the answer then, Chris? Why, why do we need community? Uh, what is it about uh, our makeup, right? Why do we have an insatiable built-in desire to belong together? And even though we sometimes don't want to belong, right? Well, we find this in Genesis 1 in the story that we talked about. Genesis 1, 2 starts with uh, the world being formless and void, right? So God builds the cosmos out of this dystopian wasteland, right? Think of Mad Max. Think of like dystopian novels, right? Think of Cormac McCarthy, all that kind of stuff, existentialism. The world was formless. God builds the cosmos out of this, in the words of one scholar, wild wasteland. He constructs this heaven and earth like, um, not machine, but this heaven and earth like framework out of the primordial chaos. It's fascinating about Genesis chapter one in this story. Just stick with me really quick is you have this, and this is kind of fancy talk, but just, just listen to me. You have this radical complementarity of unlike parts. In other words, you have this crescendo of story. It begins with God bringing heaven and earth together, unlike coming together. You have sea and dry land coming together. And then you have male and female in the crescendo of Genesis chapter one coming together. So God is bringing this, this world of space and time and matter, all the raw materials that we know that's related to um, physical existence is coming together as God builds it out. We then come to verse 26. And verse 26 marks out our purpose. We could talk long about this, but I'm just gonna kind of give you a synopsis of our purpose. Your purpose here today, let me just say this really quick, is not just to make a billion dollars as the next young CEO right? Your purpose just isn't to live in New York City. And man, if that's where God takes you, that's great, right? Your purpose isn't just to raise kids, and raising kids is the most extraordinary thing most of the time. Your purpose isn't just like making it, making money, being successful, having status, whatever, right? Making it big, going to the NFL, whatever. Your purpose we find out in verse 26 is that God shares his authority with his image bearers over, over creation. So our purpose as humans isn't simply to make money, isn't simply to have ah, status, isn't simply to make it big or whatever it is, right? Our purpose 
as humans is to steward creation with God himself. So in other words, this is crazy talk for some of us. We never really talk about this in church. But the purpose of Adam and Eve was to be a co-regent with God. And they were to reflect the wisdom and love of God over creation itself. Hence the language of dominion, right? Verse 26, have dominion over every creeping thing and over every Oakland Raider fan. (laughs) Joe Martinez, I love you, right? Amen. So we have our purpose marked out for us. We'll talk more about this over the next few weeks. We are placed within this heaven and earth construct, right, to bring creation and its goodness into flourishing. Verse 27 tells us that there's this radical complementarity between male and female. They're unlike, but they're designed to be and to do life together. Then we come to Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Actually, before that, Have you ever wondered why God did not make roads and streets and all humans at the same time? Have you ever wondered that? Have you ever wondered why uh, creation, in a sense, is incomplete? If you read Genesis chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, it's very clear that there's no shrubs, there's no trees, there's no water, there's no man, right? Again, this is the second creation story. Why did God build out this beautiful world of space and time and matter and make it incomplete. It's because God's a sharer, and he wants to work through us to bring creation into this wonderful state of flourishing. That's why we didn't have instantly Italian food and Mexican food and bakers and chefs and farmers and agriculture and science and quantum theory. God wanted to give us this beautiful world, and he wanted to work through us to bring this world into its finished state. So, we come to Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, and in light of our purpose, right, God has placed humans in authority over creation itself. Genesis 2, 18, I want you to think about this, says this, and God says this, it's not good for man to be alone. God's not just saying, hey, it's not good that we're lonely, and of course that kind of means that. But God says it's not good for man to be alone in light of how God has designed our world. In Genesis 1, 26, 27, and 28. In fact, it's impossible. God, and I'll say it this way. God has designed, because of who we are and our purpose, humans in such a way that being alone cannot lead to human flourishing. What do you mean, Chris? Well, Genesis chapter 1, verse 28 says, I want you to be fruitful and multiply. You can't do that as an individual. Right? You can't do that in isolation. You can't do that alone. Right? It's impossible for any of us in this room to experience the fullness of life by ourselves. Untethered from community. Untethered from church untethered from our gathering together on Sunday and our small groups and our parties and the life that we live as we build for the kingdom of Jesus. But I want to make a stronger point. When God said it is not good for man to be alone, he is insisting that the entire creation garden project requires not individuals, it requires a community. 
In other words, it requires all of us. So this deconstructs the myth of self-sufficiency, right? That we're like individuals, untethered from each other. And it leads us into a fresh understanding that, yes, we are designed for each other. Erin Lane writes in her book on commitment phobes, if you don't like science, you can tune this out, but uh, we'll just go with it. She writes, how many of you like science? Okay. She says this, Albert Einstein called our feelings of separateness a kind of optical delusion of consciousness by which we think we can function apart from the embrace of one another. The scientific word for this reality is entanglement. And according to principles discovered by quantum physics, entanglement pervades every inch of nature so that even after separation occurs between two previously related particles, they continue to act as one, shifting and changing in response to one another. Quantum mechanics proves what we find in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. Our life together is fundamentally, neurobiologically, woven into us. And everyone said amen. amen. Mark chapter 3, Jesus said this, made it very clear. The kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. And then Jesus, talking to a group of people, says, okay, who am I? Who's my mother? Who's my brother? Who's my sister? He says, he starts to point around to other people and says, whoever does my will is my mother, my brother, and my sister. Jesus is doing two things. He's rearranging the faith family, number one. We talked about this about four or five weeks ago. Not only is he rearranging the faith family, he is making the point that the kingdom of God runs not through individuals, not through Larry's and Barry's, right, and Terry's and Chris, right, but the kingdom of God runs through a community. It runs through a family. This is why Paul said in Ephesians chapter 3, that the manifold wisdom of God displayed to the powers runs not through individuals, it runs through the church. This is why Jesus in Matthew chapter 16 tells Peter, hey, on this rock I will build my church, right? This ecclesia. I'm going to gather a bunch of crazy people and I'm going to bring them around my name and on this rock the gates of hell shall not prevail. So Jesus never said the gates of hell will not prevail over individuals. He said the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. My people, right, who are called by my name, right, my people. First, uh, first Peter chapter 2, 9 through 10, we are not persons, right, we are not self-sufficient, individual units. We are a royal priesthood. A people, I'm losing my voice, just go with it. A nation, summoned by God to declare, right, the marvelous goodness of Jesus to the world. We are a people. This is why 1 Corinthians chapter 12, are you still with me? Tells us that when we're baptized in Christ, we're also baptized into a body. So we're all a part of this body. We are all a member of this body. We are limbs and eyes and hair and knees and elbows of the body of Christ, and everyone matters in this body. Yeah. 
So our life together really matters. So, and I talked about this last week. Why are we commitment folks? What is, one of, what is our objection to belonging? Because we want to belong, but it's so hard, right? That's the American paradox. And that's the paradox that I've, I've seen over the last 22 years in ministry when it comes to church. A lot of church people struggle with, yeah, I want community. I want to break bread with people. But Chris, man, church people are weird. Right? A little strange. Got some weird political beliefs, right? Some people believe we don't land on the moon. And, like, you know, it's like some people think the earth is flat. And whatever it is. I've just heard it all, the full spectrum of excuses why we shouldn't get involved in church. And I get it. I get it. The biggest objection, and I just want to, like, close with this thought, is that um, behind all that talk, like, people are weird. I'm not sure if I really want to get involved is this idea that the church is really messy. And so I'm just going to get the cat out of the bag. Yes, the church is messy. If you're here for a long time, um, you'll, you'll, you'll see. <laughs> that, was, <laughs> that was a little ominous. <laughs> you'll see. <laughs> oh, man, I could take that a lot of different places right now. Um, but here's the thing. This is why we're not called churchians. We're called Christians. This is why we believe in Christianity, not churchianity. Because we are, we're, we're messy people. Eugene Peterson said, hey, when we come to church, we usually expect it to be a dining room, right? Filled with fine china, perfectly structured around our preference. So, man, if they're not singing my songs, right, they're not preaching my messages, if they don't look like me, or they don't sound like me, if the church that I'm a part of doesn't have MDivs, and they're not praying 10 hours a day, right, and they're nursing resentments, and they're just, ah, whatever, right, then I'm not going to be a part of that community. Peterson, Peterson said, this is our expectation usually when it comes to church life. However, churches are not dining rooms. They are like messy family rooms. How do you know that your children are alive? Because they make a mess. <laughs> and hey, we say this a lot, and this is like so cliche, and I don't like cliches, but I'm just going to go with it. We're used to this. If you've been in church long enough, you've heard this about the church. But let me just say this really quick. If there's no mess, there's no ministry. If there's no mess, you don't have a marriage. If there's no mess, we're not on mission. Why is that? Because if there's no mess, then you're not with people. My problem is that people just kind of work from the assumption that we're on the other side of new heavens, new earth. And how, like, Jesus came back from the dead and the kingdom of God has arrived, so then everybody should be perfect. Right? And we have, and this is fancy talk, we have this over-realized expectation of church. Meaning that we should be in the new heavens and the new earth, and everyone should be absolutely perfect. There should be no sin. There should be no issues. There should be no messes. There should be no Washington Redskins fans, right? There should be, right? And yet, um, that's a wrong way of seeing it. In fact, one pastor, um, he, he mentioned this, and you might not agree with this theologically, 
I kind of don't agree with it. We can clean it up, but I just love how shocking it is. He said this, God gives us bad people even in the church to grow us. We think that bad people are in our lives, and so we got to leave. Or we got to get out. What if the, the people, the difficult people in your life are there to train you into prayer, to train you into love, to train you into service, to train you into the life that God has for you? It's funny. when I, I remember Kel and I, when we were um, being prayed for as we transitioned in 2016 to take over this almost perfect church. We had elders behind us, and I remember it was a really holy moment. We, we packed out the place, and then my cousin, I remember he came up, and I love my cousin. Sometimes I don't like him so much, but he came around, and he whispered to me. You guys didn't hear it. I think Pastor Ken was praying over us, and he goes, Chris, are you sure you want to do this? <laughs> and it's funny because this is kind of maybe insider talk, but preachers do talk about this, right? We talk about leading as bleeding, why is it? Wow, man, you just, you'd be shocked at some of the, the emails that I get. You'd be shocked at how people distort stuff that we're doing, even within our community. You'd be shocked at this, the stuff that's happening in, not only in our city, but in our church, not just in our church, but in churches throughout this valley, right? That, that's not to bring disillusionment to anyone in this room. It's simply to say, hey, what if we formed realistic perspectives about ourselves, you're not perfect, we're not perfect. So I feel it. Like some of you are saying, well, Chris, are you saying we can't speak truth in love? No, no, no. We will speak truth in love. Can I get an amen? amen. We will not tolerate sin, but we will, we will walk in grace, and we will walk in love, and we will walk in truth. We will not walk in hate. Some of you, you have confused judgmentalism with truth. Some of you are just, there's hate in your heart. And I'm not going to psychoanalyze you, but there's hate in your heart. And you are judging people groups, and you maybe even judging people here today. Maybe you're even judging this message, whatever. And your heart, you assume, is filled with truth. I would say, no, it is filled with hate. If you are judging people, right, based on whatever your, your wild criteria or subjective reasoning. But we are called, yes, to speak the truth, but we're called to speak the truth in love. So yes, we are messy, but we're also a ministry. Yes, there are messes in our church, I get it, and we're trying to change those things, but we're called to be on mission. So Chris, how do you, how do you handle the stuff in church, right? Like some of you have seen some stuff in our church, right? That you might not like, right? Maybe disagree with, I get it. Whatever you've seen, I, 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 I've, I see it too, right? I don't see everything you see, but I, I see a lot. And the way over the last 22 years that I've been able to like um, negotiate with messes is this. First, I make it, I have to remind myself, I have to be a realist, right? I have to practice humility. Number one, I got to understand that I still have issues that God's working on in me. And that God's working in our lives, all of us, irrespective of where we come from, irrespective of our idiosyncrasies, right? So I gotta start with a realistic um, perspective that we're not perfect. Second thing, this is how I've handled betrayal. This is how I've handled just the weird things Christians do. Are you ready for it? 
I remind myself that I did not die for the body of Christ, right? I know this might be like sappy preaching, right? But I didn't give my life for the body of Christ, Jesus did. And the way that I negotiate just the, the failures that I see even in leaders and difficult things or trends that I think that are wrong maybe in the churches, I, I choose not to look at that. I choose to look at Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith. I choose to practice Hebrews chapter, what, 12, 1 through 3, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith, who for the joy that set before him endured the cross, despised his shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of the Father. So that is my framework that I, I push that up. That's the thing I'm always pushing up so I can look at that. When you have articles this week that tongue-in-cheek talk about this wave of apostasy, right, in the Western Christian church, it's exaggerated, whatever, and I see people that I know that are now renouncing their faith. What do I do? I look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith. When I see marriages of people that I really respected crumble, what do I do? I look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith. When I see things that I'm just like, oh my God, what are we doing? Help us, right? Jesus, come quickly, right? I look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He's at work in our mess. He's at work bringing us into flourishing. So, um, three things that I want us to do this week uh, as, we, uh, as we pray. And it's this. Number one, I want us to imagine, or let's reimagine and you could pray through this this week. Reimagine our purpose, not just as a me project, but reimagine our purpose as a we project. I want you to think about this. I want, you, I want you to do a thought experiment. I want you to take some time, spend some time with the Holy Spirit. Reimagine your purpose is not just a me thing. What if it's a we thing? And if it's a we thing, what does that look like, right? And then as you, as you do that, I want you to maybe read Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. It said that God took Adam, right, the man, and then eventually the woman, and placed them in the garden to work it and to tend it. So let's, let's reimagine our purpose as a we thing. But let's also imagine, what if, in light of Genesis 2, 15, what if this church is a garden? It's our garden. It's not just Kel and I garden. But this church is our garden, and we're called to work it together, to cultivate what the Holy Spirit is doing in our midst. And let's imagine that, and this might be a little bit crazy to you, but let's imagine the rest of the city kind of like a wasteland, and that God has called us to cultivate this church, right, as a garden into flourishing, and then we're called to bring this garden, this flourishing, this life that Jesus has given us and bring it to our city. So let's reimagine our purpose as a we thing. Let's imagine what it would be like if we all took responsibility for our community. Number two, and as we go into the fall, I, man, I just, I really prayed over this this week. And I really want you to pray over this, over your life. And I know we're in all different kind of seasons, 
as followers of Jesus. And hear me, this is all spoken in love, not judgment. But I just think as we go into the fall season, if we believe that God has something great for our city, do you believe that? If you believe that, I think we, by the grace of God, we have to refuse to be spectators, but active participants in the story of Jesus for the sake of our city. It's not enough just to come and listen on a Sunday morning. Not, it's not enough just to worship, and those are amazing. What we do on a Sunday morning is incredible. What God does in our life is incredible. But we're called to give our life, right, to work with God so that he can bring his goodness, his grace, his love to our streets, to our families, to our friends, to our neighborhoods, right? So let's refuse by the grace of God to be spectators only, but active participants in the kingdom of Jesus. Read 1 Corinthians as we close chapter 3. Paul says that we are God's fellow workers. You're not a spectator. You're a fellow worker, right? Finally, the last thing, let's live not just for our personal fulfillment, but let's live for serving each other. I'm going to say that again. Let's live in light of our purpose, being inextricably connected to our family, our community. Let's live not for our personal fulfillment only, but let's live for serving each other and serving our city. I promise you this is a weird paradox. You give up your personal fulfillment for the sake of serving, serving others and you will find all the personal fulfillment you could ever imagine. Pastor Ken, I remember he would tell me as a young man when I got into a funk. Has anyone ever gotten into a funk before? Emotionally, you feel upside down. The problem with me is I'm, I just, I'm really introspective and I just think about it too much. My dad would always, and he would preach this, and he would tell me, he says, Chris, the way you get yourself out of funk is you got to serve your way out of it. Now, you know, I, I preach about thinking all the time, but honestly, the way to think right is you have to actually serve right. And when you start to serve and when you learn to give your life away, what happens? You get your eyes off of yourself. And when you get your eyes off of yourself, your heart opens. And what happens when your heart opens? Your heart opens to the revelation of Jesus. And it's within that context that Jesus begins to speak to you about who you are in Christ. And it's all because you made a decision to serve your life away, to serve your way out of toxic thinking. So let's reimagine our purpose, not just as me, but as we. Let's refuse to be spectators as we go into the fall. And let's not live for our own personal fulfillment, but for serving, not just each other, but serving our neighborhoods, serving our streets, serving our friends. And everyone said amen. 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 Can you bow your heads, close your eyes.